listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the 9to5 Entertainment System. Just a reminder, Cult Montreal is doing their best of Montreal uh, vote right now. So if you head over to Cult Montreal and you want to vote for uh, 90S as your favorite podcast or 9to5.cc as your favorite website, we'd appreciate that. And we'd also appreciate it if you headed to patreon.com slash 9to5cc and chipped a couple of bucks our way. We really could use the help for hosting fees and stuff that we uh, pay out of our pockets every month on this week's episode of Garbage Time, which is available to patrons. Uh, we talk about our favorite Muppets, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Soldier and Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. But on this episode of 90S, we talk about Mortal Kombat, movie theaters, the last blockbuster, NFTs, ReamD, mining crypto, The Matrix, Godzilla King of Monsters, Nobody, 200 cigarettes, and that big old skate park they opened in Verdun. All this Scott in podcasting form. Uh, is that Johnny Cage? No, no, no. John Cage, the the like post. Um, I don't know how you would describe him. He does like experimental music and has been doing experimental music for like thirty or forty years. Uh, so you're saying significantly less cool than Johnny Cage? Mm-hmm. No, there's there's. There are things that are more and less cool than Johnny Cage, and I think John Cage, the musician, is actually more cool. If you look up the symphony orchestra performance of 433, I think you will agree with me that it is, in fact, more... I believe it's just an orchestra sitting there in silence. Is that the... With a conductor turning the pages of 433. Yeah, but he's got his hand in the air because there's nothing to do. You're not supposed to... Yeah, because he has to hold. He has to hold the orchestra. But he turns the pages at the right time. (laughs) Important. I don't know if that's cooler than ripping a guy's heart out or whatever Johnny Cage's fatality I think his, his deal was the splits and punching in the nuts. Splits and punching was definitely one of it. Yeah. Have you guys seen the clips of the new Mortal Kombat? I have. It comes out next week. I'm very yeah. excited. Look, it comes out this week, I should say. Are you Friday? actually excited? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Scott. Can't hear you. Yeah. Can't hear me at all? Damn. No. <laughs> Troll no, no, Scott. No. It's gotcha. What? Testing. One, two. One, I kind two. of feel like the first Mortal Kombat was, wasn't like a happy accident that the whole world got to benefit from. I'm not so sure that it, it is the kind of thing that's going to get repeated. Everything about this trailer, though, seems to be that they're like leaning into it correct. Like it, it kind of, and it, it's a different genre for sure, but it kind of gives the vibes of like when you saw like the John Wick trailer and you're like, Yes, old man Keanu going around shooting up a bunch of people. And as long as you don't like mess with that, they made three movies and they were all pretty good because it was old man Keanu running around shooting up a bunch of people. And like, it stuck to the formula. I feel that if you like watch Mortal Kombat 1, play Mortal Kombat the video game and ever seen a bunch of like teenagers like cheer on a fatality, you have the ingredients to make a Mortal Kombat movie. Right, right, right. But <laughs> like, it's like 20 years out of out of the, uh, how would you say it? Out, out of the consciousness and zeitgeist. the zeitgeist that's exactly the correct word and the and the see there you go john cage rocking it the um and like the team behind john wick was choice do they have mm. a choice team behind i don't know who's who's involved 
Here we are talking about this thing. If you're you're watching John Cage 433, which is, I I was going to say, I was like, you know, you can put it on in the background and keep listening. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know who's involved in it. I think we talked about this on the last episode, though. Like, Scorpion punching a guy, blood flying out, freezing the blood, stabbing a guy with it. I'm like, yeah. That would be sub-zero. If you have, like, five moments like that in the movie, you're pretty much dealt a successful Mortal Kombat film. As long as there's, like, a good 90s-era techno-synth soundtrack with people screaming character names for no reason. The animated feature that they just released was pretty good. The, The Tale of Scorpion. I really like that one. Tale of That's Scorpion. like official movie tie-in or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the history of Scorpion and his background. Oh boy. Hmm. The, this is the first feature film by the director, Simon McQuaid. Okay. He's okay. done work previously solely for commercials. Yeah, but some mm-hmm. commercials are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. It was written by Greg Russo, who has also only previously written two screenplays. Well, no, but one of them was Resident Evil. No. Right, turned like the, like the 2021. So somehow he got like Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. Somebody likes Greg Russo. No, he wrote Death Note 2. Maybe they were confused no. and they thought they were getting the Russo brothers. Imagine. <laughs> Ed Boon. Ed Boon is known for, oh, I, all of the Mortal Kombat's. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what was he doing? Ed Boon is an American video game programmer, voice actor, and director who was employed for over 15 years at Midway Games. And somehow no, he has no, like... No, 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 no. He's not he a... He has a story not, credit. He's a story credit because he created Mortal Kombat. That's like saying mm-hmm. that Stan Lee gets a credit for creating Spider-Man in all the movies. He, he Ed Boon mm. did not write this movie. Fair enough. Uh... Sean Catherine Derrick did some uh, Batman the Animated Series stuff. And that's pretty good. Yeah, it looks like a bunch of nobodies made this movie. So, so maybe, maybe amazing. To prove. Meanwhile, the last one is directed by Paul Anderson. The W.S. Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. yeah. The bad one. Well, uh, well I mean, the last I mean, one was a bad movie. It was. Hmm. So what else is up? Mortal Kombat comes out. I say, I guess, tune into 90s uh, two thirty four for my hot takes because we're definitely going to be watching Mortal Kombat between now and then. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. If I can uh, find a good place to watch it, I'll be streaming live on HBO Max. Bring. This is kind of interesting. The whole um, movie theater thing. <laughs> so. HBO or Warner Brothers, I should say, did made the deal with HBO Max where it's they're getting all all of the Warner Brothers releases are coming out same day in theaters where it's like legally allowed to, and then HBO Max. But what's interesting is that contract only runs for whatever twenty twenty one, and then they entered into another partnership agreement with their like release partners. And this is crazy, at least not crazy, but it is like very different. When we talk, we, I think we've talked about this in the past. We're like, what's going to be different in, in 2022, like when this all ends? And apparently even next year, they're not going to get same day, but HBO Max is going to get Warner Brothers stuff like a month after movie premieres, hmm. which is like, that's very quick. And you're like, that's why I was like, if I'm a movie theater, I'm like, what? That's a, please 
<laughs> like, no, please come okay. see my you, go see a movie in the first four weeks or see it on HBO Max. But meanwhile, civilization is going to be getting COVID for the next year. So the faith in the movies, movie theaters being able to do anything is, is falling. And even even before COVID, right, like the quality of people's home entertainment systems was getting better and better and better. And people were going less and less and less to the movies. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason to go to a movie theater was usually because you didn't want to wait six months to see it. Right. So if they're reducing and then and Disney kind of said that they're going to be doing a lot of their premium price nonsense, mm-hmm. but also same day releases. And then like, yeah, their premium price nonsense is kind of nonsense, I feel, in the time of COVID mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, uh, it's $30 for a new release. But if it's like, hey, the new Marvel, like the new Marvel movie comes out. Do you want to all go to a movie theater and pay like a hundred bucks for 10 of us? Or do you want 10 of us to come over my place and we all pay $3 yep. and bring our own food and drink and whatever else and, and have it and make a nice time of it. So like, yeah, I agree. The $30 premium price point is expensive now when you're thinking about one household, but if they're like, Oh, a new release, a new Marvel movie is going to come out. It's going to be 30 bucks on Disney plus. That's like ordering a pay-per-view. Let's get together and watch Spider-Man when it comes out or whatever the heck. Like, mm-hmm. That that becomes way thing, and that and that's what they're saying is they're like these, they're like this is literally the studio saying, we don't care about you movie theaters. We now have like direct line to moviegoers' pockets, and we can just get our money straight up, which is weird because I think it's sad because I think movie theaters are cool when they're cool. When they're cool, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, but, but like production companies don't don't care. They watch the video store and, you know, the DVD suppliers. They they watch them die. They watch them all crash and burn. They were just like, oh, that happened. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. Then I, I finally, I watched, uh, Scott talked about this on the episode that John couldn't make it, but we mm-hmm. watched, uh, Sarah and I watched Last Blockbuster. The Last Blockbuster. It's kind of a tongue twister. Can I say it out loud? Uh, fun. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think there was quite enough to make an hour and a half documentary about it. I think that there was maybe about like 40 to 45 good minutes of time. But like one of the weird twists was that Blockbuster was like so profitable. It took on all this like debt, like for Mm -hmm. Dish Network or whatever the hell it was. And then the financial crisis happened. So they were just sort of like, they were all, they were in 2007 or 2008 in the cusp of kind of like starting up their own streaming service. Like it was like people were like, oh, Netflix came out and Blockbuster passed. That is true. But one of the reasons they passed is they were doing their own streaming service. But then when the financial crisis like hit, Blockbuster was just like did not have the like they were they had a monstrous amount of debt in a financial crisis. They were like, yeah, we just couldn't survive that. It had nothing to do not say nothing to do with the business model, but they were like. They Netflix also was passed survive. on acquiring Netflix. Like, yeah, way but, that, but that's what they were saying. But they were like, but because, the reason they passed on Netflix, though, is because they were starting their own streaming service. There was like, there was a point when we were both entering the streaming space, only mm-hmm. Netflix had no debt. <laughs> and we were like sitting on millions of billions of dollars of debt. Right. So we couldn't actually like properly invest in our product because like, you have to just operate at a loss to run a streaming service for a, p- a period, right? Sure. And they were like, yeah, we just couldn't absorb that kind of thing. So they're like blockbuster at home or whatever uh, plans went south. Huh. And uh, and they were like, the demise apparently had like, like even like they were talking to some of the blockbuster execs. They're like, yeah, like the famous story of we passed on Netflix is true, but it's because we were going to compete with Netflix. And then the financial crisis made right, that right, right, impossible. Right. 
Which is kind of like... And it wasn't even Blockbuster's debt. It was debt that they accrued from Viacom after Viacom fell apart. So, like, all of these little bits and pieces that were being sold off came with all this debt. So when Dish Network bought Blockbuster from Viacom, they were like, we're getting it for super cheap, but we also have this huge... Assumed debt or whatever. ...overhead that they had to take with it. It's super weird. And yeah, I will say that that movie definitely did in the little bits and pieces of that were like, were kind of interesting in terms of just like how, how the, how it, like they, Kevin Smith, or whatever has a quote that was like super funny where he was like, there was a point in the nineties where like blockbuster was in the same sentence as like McDonald's and Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Like he's like every town had one or two, you know, like it was the same thing as like a fast food franchise. Subway. And they were just sort of like, yeah, if you went and you told someone in like the 90s, you're like, Blockbuster, there's going to be one left in Oregon in 2020. You'd be like, what? <laughs> like, you're a liar. Okay. And I was like, it's so weird that we're like, I was like, yeah, something that was so omnipresent and everywhere and seemed like a forever brand, certainly, like in the 90s, disappeared in our lifetimes. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Keith, I didn't spoil it up for you before and you, and you ended up watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you're a big fan of Lloyd Kaufman. I agree with Lloyd Kaufman. He's the best. <laughs> no, they sent the absolute wrong line producer or whatever the hell it was, or like C-roll director. <laughs> it's There's some footage of Lloyd Kaufman being super salty, being like, A, I hate Blockbuster because uh, unless it was an independently owned Blockbuster, they would never shelve trauma movies, right? For right. obvious reasons. Because <laughs> they're like, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're trash and full of nudity and whatever. And Blockbuster usually... Blockbuster didn't even like to like anything NC-17 or whatever. Like there was like, they would allow some R, but even then they had their own like rating system that like, if there was like too much sexiness in an R movie, maybe they wouldn't shelve it. Like it was very, uh, very weird. And so yeah, trauma movies, unless they were independently owned and operated, they were like basically like blanket banned by Blockbuster cinema, which is like already he's like, yeah, screw Blockbuster. And then like the opening footage is he was just sort of like, he's like, do you even know like who I am? Like he's like talking off screen to like the, 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 the C crew director or whatever. They're like, yeah, like you're a little copy. He's like, you're just reading that. You have no idea who you're sitting down and interviewing with right now. Like you have no <laughs> idea who I am. That is and amazing. I was like, and he's, he, he's not even saying it like, do you know who I am? Like I'm such a big deal. He's saying it like more like accusing, like you have no idea why I'm in this documentary. Do you like, why are you? Why? In house? Yeah, exactly. Like okay, you have no okay. idea why you were but- sent here to interview me. Good on them to put the footage in the movie. They put that. They didn't have to put that footage in. Absolutely, and that, and that's what I was saying. Is I was like, I was like, a good on them to admit because I'm sure like whoever it was putting together was like, oh yeah, we have to own up to this, like <laughs> like because yep. he's pissed off. And I was like, I know for a fact that he's like a swell interview. You can go on, go plug yourself and hear me interviewing him. He's like a <laughs> cool dude to talk with. Who's like pretty talkative. And yeah, he'd probably be like, yes, yeah, screw blockbuster if I sat down to interview him about it and not come off like a jackass but like that entire yeah. bit with lloyd kaufman is just like on such the wrong foot that he's like screw blockbuster and screw this stranger who came into my house and is just looking to like fill up a 15 minute interview spot with having no idea like the That's context of why i'm supposed to be in the documentary oh. yeah it was very funny <laughs> just lloyd kaufman just very angry at the person interviewing him it was good i, I like the, the weird people that they got that all had these ties to blockbuster Mm-hmm. Like uh, Paul Shear and Jamie Kennedy, and those were funky stories. Yeah, I also realized Sarah was like, she's like, Sarah was like, did you ever work in a video store? And I was like, no. Somehow, 
like I didn't. She's like, I really would see you like thriving, like <laughs> like high school Keith just really having a good time at Blockbuster. Look and at I was me, like, I'm yeah, Randall. Think... Pretty much, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a good job where I got away with being a dick a lot. And the worst part is everyone who worked there, like Paul shared everything, is like had that exact same reaction. They're like, Yeah, it's a pretty good job where you don't do anything. You get to watch movies and you can kind of just screw around a lot. Like as long as you kind of put the movies on the shelves and don't make a mess, you just get to like run the store like however you want. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, that does sound like the best stupid never working in a video store. And now I never will. But yeah, I, my oh, brain one left. Actually, that's down. not true. If we make crypto millions for whatever reason, we could open a video store whose only business is to lose money and provide us somewhere to hang out with during the day, where we could watch movies and talk to whatever idiot comes in. Like, think of what a good, what a good thing. Thought, People would be like, nobody rents anything was... here. You're losing tons of money. We don't care. I, was, I thought that you were just talking about like a, a drastically like advanced business model where you can rent NFTs. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> you, you go to the store and you rent a non-fungible token and they physically give you a USB key. Bring it back in three days, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. It won't, it can't go online. You just get to put the USB key in and witness the NFT <laughs> and then bring it back and be like, thank you. Man, do you know the NBA is doing them? Everybody's doing them. Oh my god, dude! So we watched um, WrestleMania. Re- WrestleMania really? Night Two. Uh, we did a whole go plug yourself on it, so I don't want to do it. Like, yeah, I saw the sports ones, but there was like the dumbest timed NFT commercial ever. So the <clears throat> Randy Orton fights the Fiend, and by fight I mean they both literally have like ten minute plus intros. Like Randy comes in and is super slow, uh, all this and that. For for some context, this should be like a pretty big blow off because the last time they fought, Land- Randy, you know, tried to murder him and lit him on fire in a, in a kind of a cool spot. Like poured gasoline like all over that. him and then, huh? I like that that wasn't the blow off. <laughs> that was not the blow off. And then he kind of, the fiend came back as like mystical undead and burnt and stuff like that and then started screwing with him and also like pulled alexa bliss into this whole thing and now she can like cry black tears on command and it's a whole thing you know sometimes wizards uh are involved in wrestling as you do (laughs) anyway so like 20 minutes of intro later there's a six minute match alexa bliss pops out of a box cries black tears or whatever randy hits an rko and wins it's a six minute match and everyone is just sitting there like, and when Alexa Bliss pops out, there's like the whole entire crowd is doing like a holy shit, holy shit chant. Sarah, who has not watched wrestling in like two years almost, was like eating out of the palm of WWE's hand in this moment. She was like, this is like a horror movie come to life in the ring. What is going to happen next? It's going to be crazy. No, it's going to be an RKO and the match is finishing in the next five seconds. Like... Everybody's chanting, holy shit. Sarah was glued to the screen. RKO match over. And then everybody's like, like, jeering, like, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And then they're sort of like, smash cut to being like, own part of the magic of WrestleMania 37 with an NFT. That's like, like, own this bullshit moment forever. (laughs) Own the moment of everybody looking around confused and chanting bullshit in an NFT form. 
So, John, as I was saying, yeah. what are your thoughts as a tech guy on NFTs? You know, I haven't done enough reading into it to, have, to feel like I have a very educated opinion about the whole situation. I think that it's, however, it is an extension on the world of like crypto and digital yeah. coins. Like it's an attempt to make something that is unique, that is purchasable online. Right. I do think that it has a bit of the problem of that really being a very difficult thing to do. Like there's been a lot of stories of people already having their like NFTs in a, whatever the wallet type of thing is that holds your NFTs getting mm-hmm. stolen or disappearing out of nowhere. And, yeah. Well, um, I, yeah, good. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I was like, what I was, what I was reading about is they were like, you're not buying the GIF. You're buying the blockchain associated with the GIF. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, the GIF is located on a server. And they were like a power surge can kill that GIF. That's right. And then your blockchain <laughs> link is pointing to something dead. And then that's the end of that. Yeah, exactly. So you just have yeah. a very expensive blockchain link. So I'm like, there are issues, but like, there is something like there, like extremely cyberpunk about, about it. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> like, and it's also digital... something that like in the future, when they sort this out would be pretty, pretty freaking cool. But very strange. But very strange. Yeah. But yeah, we exactly. live in a strange time. That's what, that's okay. exactly it's not just the GIF, it's the GIF you own. Yeah, whatever. Like, uh, like what like you were saying, Scott, like the the NBA, whatever, like a bunch of like super iconic. They're selling them like collector's cards. Yeah, like super iconic dunks and yeah. stuff. Like, hmm. And you're like, so now you own the footage of this dunk. But I was okay. like, but it's weird though, because you don't own the footage. Like ESPN still owns the footage. You own the NFT of that footage. <laughs> like, yep. You know, it's not like, the same thing. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Like you, you do own the NFT of it, but you're like ESPN. That doesn't mean that you get royalties every time ESPN shows that in a highlight reel. Like it's it's a it's a very weird weird thing. Yeah. I think it's fun though. I feel like it's the next step of online CCGs, basically. Like Magic the Gathering has been online for like what ten years, fifteen years, fifteen. Yeah, it, it had. They were very early Magic. Computer. Yeah, if not even more. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's similar. It's the same kind of thing. People bought their cards. They never held them physically. And well, but what's weird about that is, I mean, like it's it's to me to that end, it's the next step of I think any like virtual storefront like right, right that has like another value like uh like wow money or whatever was always worth something in real world money but it wasn't actually traded for real world money nfts are kind of like wow money in a certain thing you're like this only has a value because everybody agreed to it yeah but it's the same thing with money money only has exactly. a value because oh, 100 and that, that's what i'm saying it all like this is this is just like attaching a weird tangible to a bitcoin yeah, like, and I know that not necessarily saying Bitcoin, but like a blockchain sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And you guys have to read Reem D by Neil Stevenson. Which one? Reem D. Reem D. It's been recommended to me a few times, actually. I think Jer recommended it. I never, uh, never did get around to it though. You would love it the most, John. It's yeah. both Stevenson and centered around a criminal conspiracy, Ooh. laundering money through a World of Warcraft type video game. I love it. It's it's so good. And and the stuff that happens in the game that affects the criminal conspiracy, mm-hmm. like they have these killing fields around this money that is all tied up. So there's all this gold over the floor in the game from players that have been killed, mm-hmm. and there are 
basically an in-game mafia that is laundering the money and killing anyone who comes close to it to try to pick it up at the same time. It's, it's, it's really good, really complicated, really heady video game criminal syndicate logic. Did you ever read the one that started out being about um, uh, like a monk in, in his abbey and then turns out to be about alternate realities? For some reason, the name of it is escaping me now. I have to type it in. But it's um, it was like the the climax to the book is like a 200-page philosophical conversation about reality. It's pretty intense. Mm, is it Cryptonomicon? No, no, no. That one's obviously about World War II and, and spies and stuff. Oof. And gold. Look up RMD page count, 1,056 pages. That's our boy Stevenson. But it's good. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, did you hear also like the uh, a guy I used to know and used to work with who now works for Hydro Quebec got to be on CNN last week talking about crypto, and because uh, apparently book. Quebec is a like one of the only not to say only places but like is a hotbed within North America. There's other parts in the world that like kill Quebec, but within North America, Quebec is one of the places where people mine crypto the most. Because we have the cheapest energy. Yes, of course. <laughs> and that is that's one thing where I was like, I feel that that is going to be if if anything like really wrecks the market. Is I was like, they're going to legislate the energy consumption. I mean, and, they're already reopening coal plants in the states, and the people yeah. opening the coal plants are only putting computers next to the plants to mine Bitcoin. So yeah. it's just pumping coal and turning it into fucking bitcoins. It's horrible. It's, horrible. Yeah, the, the 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 ecological impact of Bitcoin is is yes. absurd. Yes, like it, they're like that's what they're saying. Is they're like I forget what it was, but you're like it's one coin or whatever the heck it is is like X number of kilowatt hours, which in most places is straight up fossil fuel burning and whatever, or like oil. You know, and you're like it's an enormous enormous consequence. But at the same time, most coin that's like the initial cost of mining the coin. Most coins are already mined, and they're just getting traded around, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then, the, but the more valuable the coin gets, the more lucrative it is to mine it. No, that's not quite how it works because there's a well, there's a limited number of coins, right? Like they're going to stop yeah. being able to be mined pretty soon. You know, it's yeah. I, I get that, but I mean, you're, you're like that's not necessarily true. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you just said coal mines are opening up to mine bitcoins in a roundabout way. I'm like, but that's the current thinking, like yeah. I was like, that's such a, and then, like I said, they go, the, maybe, who knows, who knows where that goes? But I was like, that is a very, very messed up reality. I think of, and uh, I'm not necessarily off to overlook because I'm hearing about it more and more. But like, I think in the general public, there are people are overlooking. They're like, it's fun internet money. I'm like, not anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it costs a lot of money to run computers, to do programming, to figure out the math, to add another step to that chain so now you have like you said opening coal mines i was like that that is also some freaking cyberpunk nonsense where you're just sort of like the shutdown that killed me the, like that starts the matrix movie is us mining crypto and then the computers take over and we're like oh shit we built supercomputers to mine crypto and then they became sentient that's okay though if the, if the computers are going to do something about the environment it'll all be worth it we're the batteries now, Neo. Yeah. That makes sense. 
And what a, what a shame it. they didn't make it that the computers were using the processing power of the human minds. Like they were hijacking the computation possibilities of the mind. It would have made so much more sense than just being batteries. Yeah, batteries is nonsense. It's total like, nonsense. What, again, like what were they like? Like we're not we're not even the most like like anywhere near the most efficient like digestive system out of mammals and whatever or animals. It like, doesn't make a lick of sense. There's no yeah. way that that makes sense that you can slice it. But yeah. but the compu- computation power sort of does, and it like it makes an interesting synchronicity between Neo being important as the one because they can get the most juice out of his brain that is wired to do hmm. stuff that the computers couldn't figure out how to do for themselves. You know, it, it like puts a whole depth to that relationship that that isn't there in the original. Yeah. Know. Yeah. For me, it's now now that I'm in my 40s and having lived more than a year of lockdown. I kind of want to sit into a big bathtub of goo and just just float there. <laughs> Eat delicious steaks to my heart content, heart's content without being oh, yeah. worried about heart disease. If people, if people were like, here's the Matrix, sign up now. I'd be like, okay, I get to see my friends. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Put me in the simulation, guys. I want to be rich, important, famous. Like, or like an actor or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Cypher. Uh yeah, I that, I I have such reservations about the new one. That as a new one, well, like two and three were not great. No, they were not. No, they were not. But but you know, it's been a long couple of years, and it was Warner Brothers' terrible interference. You know, the story was that they wanted to do a prequel as the second movie, and then Warner Brothers was like, "Wait, wait, wait! You want to make a movie without Keanu Reeves and and Lawrence Fishburne and?" Um, Kate Moss and who are, you know, whatever. So Dozer, Dozer. So instead (laughs) they, 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 they like took the script that they had for the third movie, which they were never finished. And were just like, okay, we're going to figure that out when we get there. They stretched Mm -hmm. it into two movies and that's why you ended up with the garbage that you had. I went back and rewatched all three of them recently while working out. And I don't know, man, they were terrible. Yes, but they didn't age as badly as I really thought that they would. Yeah, I, I I rewatched them a couple years ago, but like still several years after their release. Yeah. And I do think that number two and three. It hurts. Like, it hurts because of how good the first one was. Yeah, it, like it, it took a hard hit. Yeah. And, and also like like number two ending, like a film ending on a cliffhanger is the worst. Yeah, except when it's right. the best. Except when it's the best. <laughs> Because Empire is really good. But it's not really a cliffhanger. At least, like, the good guys are back together and the bad guys have the upper hand. But there's still, like, an ending. Like, dude, like... Taken away by by Boba Fett. Yeah. So one of the main characters has been captured. They rescue Luke. They're all sitting there on the robot. Luke puts his arm around Leia. And they're like, we're going to get through this or whatever. I don't remember the exact ending of... Oh, was it Matrix Reloaded? Yeah, because then it was Revelations with the second one. Reloaded. But like it literally, in my in my memory, it ends like them running at the bad guy and being like, to be continued. And I'm like, get out of here. I just paid money for this. No, <laughs> you know, like it, that's not how it ends. It ends with um, Agent Smith waking up in the human. Yep. But that's a pretty big cliffhanger, right? That's, yeah, no, it's a cliffhanger, but yeah. it's not a bad cliffhanger. It's not like... I think Empire would be really stupid if all of a sudden Admiral Akbar opened up his eyes and he was like, oh, I'm Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, what the hell? That's, how's that? That's stupid. 
Or, or actually, here, I got it. Here, I will give you an example of what I think would be the equivalent of that. I, my, my first example was very poor. But what the equivalent of that in Star Wars that I think would not have landed as well as the way Empire ends is, right, so you do everything like Empire, and then you just see the Emperor being like, and we have another Death Star. But they did do that. <laughs> No, they didn't. Not an empire. Well, they did no, that in Jet when it starts up. Yeah, and it was dumb no, but, as you know, hell. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not sitting there for two years being like, oh, shit, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they did do it. That was literally the next storyline. But I think that if they made that the end of Empire, I would have been like, that's a... Like, I would have felt sh- shitty in the you're, movie theaters to be you're, like... You're really stretching here. The end yeah. of Empire is such a downer. It's so bad. Vader chops Luke's hands off, loses the lightsaber. He, Luke loses the lightsaber. Han gets captured. They basically run away from Cloud City with their tail between their legs, and it credits roll. You're like, what the hell? It's just fucking happened? great, though. It's great, but nothing good happens there. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I'm not saying it's a. Good, it's like a good feel good ending. I'm saying, but like, but it wraps it. It wraps the story it was telling and leaves room for more stories. Oh, there's no conflict resolution there. Luke. I don't know. Everybody's in the ship except for the one guy. Listen to this. So Trinity is shot, and then she and Agent Thompson fall off a building. Before she hits the ground, Neo catches her. He then removes the bullet from her heart and revives her. They return to the real world. This is also, now that I'm reading it, also why I'm angry. They return to the real world, where sentinels attack them. The Nebuchadnezzar is destroyed, but the crew escape. And this is like step one of disappointing ending. Neo displays a new ability to disable the machines with his thoughts in the real world. What? That was go- That was awesome, man. No, yeah, I, was. I was like, it doesn't make sense. He's the one in the simulation. His programming ability shouldn't transport to be like, mm, wah, 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 yeah, I just that, think that's what it. it's all about. That's why you're, you're like, holy shit, maybe the Matrix is in a Matrix. Maybe there's like, it opens up a door to something new going mm. on. Which, which I think everybody who was at the bar afterwards agreed upon. But then that wasn't the ending. That wasn't, didn't happen in the third one, which was the worst. Like, everyone who saw that was like, oh, they're in another Matrix. And I guess, I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe that's the point of the fourth one 20 years later. Maybe. maybe. Uh, yeah, 2003. It'll be like 20 years later. They're picked up by another, another ship, the Hammer. Roland reveals the other ships were wiped out by the machines after someone prematurely activated an EMP off camera. <laughs> and that one survivor, the now Smith-possessed Bane, was found. I'm like, get out of here. That's a tune in next week to this movie you just paid twenty dollars to see. Like that is I'm not right, nearly right. as good of an ending as Empire. Harp on these movies that were terrible fifteen years ago, we can, we can. Anyway, they're making more. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, right? It's the Wachowskis are once again at the helm. Yep, yep. And and that's so the Matrix series, cool. V for Vendetta, cool. And then you're talking about Speed Racer, uh-huh. Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and the Netflix series Sense Eight. I like Sense Eight. Yeah. But a lot of those other movies are not great. We also kind of liked um, Speed Racer. It had, you know, a couple, <laughs> couple of whatevers, you know, I guess. Vi- and, oh, I mean, I think vi- visually speaking, I don't think there's a problem with any of those films, like Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending and Speed Racer. Like, but even Speed Racer is like, let's get into the geopolitical reality of Speed Racer and not <laughs> the speed racing. <laughs> it's like weird twist that the Wachowskis decided Gotta to go, go fast. What? <laughs> Riss and I watched uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. How's that? that? That is the opposite of Speed Racer. That is people really excited to watch monsters fight each other, and they do it a lot. Mm-hmm. It was great. Godzilla fights King Ghidorah, Mothra fights Rodan, a whole bunch of other stuff shows up. 
they fight, they fight, they fight again. It's it, it was outstanding. Delivered. And then they all bow down to him at the end because he's the king of monsters, like the name of the movie. Great. It is fantastic. It's, it's also Godzilla King of Monsters is where they're like, they nuke him back to life. Yep. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, it, it literally like, he's dying. We have a nuclear bomb. Let's just <laughs> nuke him and see what happens. <laughs> if we blow him up next to his face, everything will be better. <laughs> I'm into it. It's great. It's, it's so... It, it watches like such a 70s Godzilla movie with all their stupid plans just to get closer to having more monsters pop up and fight. Yeah, I think you're going to enjoy Godzilla vs. Kong because it's, it's a lot of that. <laughs> I hope so because I liked Skull Island a lot. The Godzilla, the first one, was not great. But King of All Monsters the second was... second one, I guess, right? Because the first, the first American Godzilla was with oh, Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Roger. I don't know. The, the, the one part with of... Brian Cranston. That one was not great. That no. was shaky cam, clouds. Can't yeah, see yeah. Any. Um, yeah, and this one was the opposite. They made sure to give you lots of clean shots of Godzilla. Yeah. And, and, we, and they, they learned that lesson, or and they took that lesson into Godzilla versus Kong, too. Like, it's it's like you're just sort of like... To, to the point where, like, I... Uh, like almost to the detriment because you lose the scale because there's so many nice, clear, wide shots of Godzilla and Kong going to town that then yeah. your brain starts to do the thing. You're like, it's guys in suits and the, and the buildings are little. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you're like, I, you I also really like that King of All Monsters was set in the big final fight was set in Boston. <laughs> and now New York, everyone's seen that destroyed. Let's, let's trash Boston. I'm like, nice. nice. I, I believe King of Monsters, like the, the final showdown takes place in like Hong Kong, but I don't think it's like really Hong Kong because every, so the fight starts at night and kind of goes into the morning. <laughs> like it's, it's quite long. Uh, and, but like every building seems to be like lined with like neon strip lights. So like every building has a neon outline of itself. So you can see the building smash better at night. You mean in versus Kong? Yeah. Yeah. Godzilla versus Kong. King of Monsters, definitely the final fight is in Boston because King Ghidorah lands in the middle of uh, the baseball field. Mm-hmm. Nice. Like in Fenway? Fenway. They land right in Fenway next to the green monster. I'm like, ha, I got it. They did it. They did it. <laughs> <laughs> then he opens up a can of Monster Energy drink. <laughs> Product placement. <laughs> and he's like, uh, King Ghidorah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is, uh, yeah. So let us know when you you should both watch it. We could rank it and talk about Godzilla versus Kong. As soon as I get off this, I can I can go find a copy of it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I uh, oh, oh, I watched a movie that is also recently out in theaters. Even though I did not go in theaters to say it because it's on demand. Because theaters are crazy. I watched Dime Store John Wick. Bob Odenkirk's. Nobody. Oh yeah, and that looked it looked terrible. No. Okay. It's pretty good. How's that? Uh, it's like when you go to Dollarama and you get a cool GI Joe that's not really a GI Joe. It's like a GI Jorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like imagine that, but taken and applied to John Wick. Oh. 
any action movie starring Bob. No, 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 no. It's very specifically John Wick. He got out of the game. Uh, he tries to lead a normal life. They they drag him back into a game for a stupid reason, but it's an even stupider reason than in John Wick. And then he just has to basically kill the entire mob, like up to and including like digging up a thing in his basement and having gold bars in it. It's like, it's John Wick. It's not every stupid action movie. It's, it's John, John Wick. Wick. Come on. When they wrote the script, you know they were thinking Jason Statham. But For the role? But sure, but then it was still John Wick. The, the script that they were writing was still John Wick for Jason Statham. Like, it, it's it's great, and there's enough... First of all, the fight scenes and stuff are well choreographed enough, and also just sort of, like, visceral in that season one of Daredevil way, that, like, all the fights are like, oh, like, people get, like... Like, he gets, like, banged up and, like, his nose busted. And then it's just sort of, like, his nose is all screwed up and bleeding just for, like, the rest of the fight. Like, nobody's, like, shrugging it off. And he's not, like, Keanu Reeves, so he's not, like, that. He's Bob Odenkirk. He doesn't look, like, that much of a badass. You're just sort of like, oh, man, Bob Odenkirk looks like shit. (laughs) He's still just, like, smashing people. There's a lot of, like, neat, like, weapon improvisations and stuff. Like, on the bus, he rips out the thing that you pull down to ding to like choke out a guy you know and stuff like like, there's a lot of like neat uh i don't know def jam fight for new york kind of style using the arena like to his benefit wherever the fight kind of happens there's like a lot of that in the fights the fights are well choreographed and ultimately like i was like it's if it wasn't such a ripoff of john wick i would be like this is absolutely like hits those like weird 1990s like generic ass action movies but the movie seems to be like aware of itself enough that it's still kind of funny and odenkirk is also like pretty good in it like he's very convincing i saw a behind the scenes featurette on youtube Mm -hmm. and put in work for that movie yeah and i I I presume he did a lot of his own stunts and stuff too like because a lot of the shots are not like, A, I don't think it has the budget for to CG his face onto someone else. And it's clearly him doing a bunch of the nonsense. There's, like, it, it, uh, yeah, it's it's fully, fully watchable and entertaining. And it, it does the, what it, what you want, like, from a, like, when you buy, like, generic action movie on VHS, like, it's what you hope from that. Like, there's enough action scenes and they happen fast enough and they're, like, good enough that, like, if you forget for a split second that you're just clearly watching Dime Store John Wick, it's like you're like, this is a completely fun action movie that is completely forgettable, noteworthy, I guess, only because it's just weirdly Bob Odenkirk in an action role for no reason. Like we're like, what a weird career. Does this make Bob Odenkirk the next Liam Neeson? Because <laughs> Liam Neeson, that one movie, and then he spent the next fifteen years hold of his on, life. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Making he, that he was also like in a Star Wars as an action guy. Yep, but anything after Taken is Liam Neeson in Taken in A Walk Amongst the Tombstones. Yep. Like, he played that character in other movies. But there's also also a little bit of, like, funniness that nobody has. Like, it's not, like, all throughout. Like, it's not necessarily playing for laughs, but, like, there's a couple times where his, like, his gritty action movie monologue just gets, like, interrupted by someone talking. Like, he's like, how could I have been so stupid letting, letting these guys break into my house, putting my family at risk? This is all I mean. Sir, sir, you're, uh, you need to make a statement. Oh, 
And then he just like walks over. Like, like oftentimes his like his grisly action movie monologues are interrupted by like the rest of the world still happening around him. So like, like there's like a, a couple of like funny moments like that. And also um, in the finale features a I'm let's let's make this a game. How old is Christopher Lloyd today? It's 80? 79. Because he he also has been at max level since 1982. So you're saying 80, yeah. 79? You don't think he's older than that? I really think he would have been. I feel like His I'm lowballing what I really is think. That's an old dude. 82. Man. Got it. Close. Yeah. So he looks 80, you see, as he does in Taxi for like the next 40 years. Pretty similar, yeah. And and even in this film, uh, the finale features Christopher Lloyd with multiple shotguns slung around his shoulders and then picking them up and just emptying shotguns into people. So just Christopher Lloyd running around shooting shotguns. And, like, it's kind of explained that, like, because he's, like, a former cleaner type guy uh, who was, like, obviously in his old age is like, yeah, I prefer shotguns. I can't aim. Like, my eyesight's... <laughs> like... My eyesight's trash. It's shotguns for me now. I'm not going to sit around trying to like headshot was it, everybody. Was it good? And the next expense. Is this thing worth it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, like, I don't know, as, as good as a generic action movie could be. Like, I would have been totally happy renting this uh, from a blockbuster. <laughs> like, Keith, the next Expendables movie is going to be really weird. With Bob and Bob Odenkirk? Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> Also, they 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 keep making the joke, uh, or, or they they keep saying that like, oh, like your your father used to be in the military, and he's like, I was just an auditor, baby, mm-hmm. like whatever else can go with that. And then they were like, they explain it. He's just sort of like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I worked for the government as an auditor, as in the last guy you want to have show up at your place. And I was like, oh, wink, you're an auditor instead of saying mm-hmm. cleaner or whatever the hell. Yeah, it, it was fine. Uh, I just I we watched it because we were like Friday night and we wanted a popcorn movie because we thought that Mortal Kombat was coming out last Friday <laughs> and we were like wait Sarah loved it as she does like those are her mm-hmm. bread and butter jams uh, yeah I don't know uh, if it pops up on a streaming service and you cool. want dumb popcorn you you could do worse it's a, it's like a perfectly entertaining do you want to uh, rank this guy. Uh, if you want, could wait. Sure. I mean, whatever. Where's where's the middle? Like it's it's right on the. I guess it be- it belongs right on the bottom of where movies get good. Is I think the the firm uh, ranking for it. Man, Rogue One needs to come down. How is Rogue One above Top Gun? Top Gun was not great. But... We we have fond memories of good moments in there, but it was not a good movie. That's true. Rogue One is the, and Rogue One is the best of them. I keep thinking Rogue One was. Now, yeah, I, I still also think you overranked Rogue One, but you know, no, it was real good. It's acceptable. Um, Vaguely, it was where does it go? Man, I haven't seen. It's better than Solo. Oh, that's not hard, but yeah. Though that I'm just saying, and then I'm like looking at there is a bit of a drop off on on there. Okay, and this is also good start to finish is the I think that where it gets its maximum points. I think that's where it goes. I think it goes right below, right below Solo, above <laughs> Life. 
I wanted to talk about this movie. I don't know that that it's totally worth a huge discussion, but um, it popped up on Netflix a while back, and I think you had already seen it. Glass? The other movie in the Shadowana? I had not seen... Oh, wait, no, I have seen Glass. I haven't seen Split. That was the the trilogy. I haven't seen the whole trilogy. Because Glass is the finale of the trilogy, because it's the guy from... Yeah, because the guy from Split's already in the uh, in the asylum. Oh snap! So there's another one. I gotta yeah. go and see it. I kind of liked it. I like I, I liked it more than I really thought that I would. Scott, have you seen Glass? I haven't seen Split either. I've only seen Unbreakable. Hmm. Well, Split Split I yeah. hear is kind of bad, and Split does that whole uh, like why I missed it <laughs> is it does the. Um, Mental illness is a super villain. I mean, like, there's problems there. Yeah, I mean, maybe. You know, the the hard thing is that the the it's it's comic booky, right? There's plenty of comic book mm-hmm. villain characters who are like, "Boy, I'm a goofy Joker." The um, like, and 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 like comic bookedness or like like the theme of comic books is obviously heavily in the dna of the movie like it's like a repeat point for samuel mm-hmm. jackson's character that he's like i'm making super villains you know that's like that's like his jam yeah. and then james mcavoy's performance i don't know you you could he gives it his all you know it's good it's good fun which apparently yeah. he doesn't split also. Like, like that's what they're saying is you're like, like James McAvoy taking the, like the role of split personality serial killer, like as though it's his like he road really to an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> like it's apparently the, like the story in split <laughs> basically. And you're like, and no one else in the film is anywhere on his level. So at, at least in this, I guess uh, like Jackson mm-hmm. is around and stuff. Like there's the whole, the playoff of the other characters. So like there's a cast Oh, for sure. For sure. Like Bruce Willis is as there too, as I right? Recall. And yeah. then there's like another level to mm-hmm. it, right? Because each of them, not they don't have like each a protege, but they each have an, like another character that they're close to who is not in the asylum, right? So Bruce Willis has his mm-hmm. son who is now like helping him chase down people. And then there's um, the mom of Samuel Jackson who is like, she's like totally behind her son, thinks that he's a good guy, everything's going to be okay. Um, and then James mm-hmm. McAvoy's character kidnapped a girl and was like i don't know if he was torturing them or whatever but she kind of got a little bit of stockholm syndrome for him played by anya taylor joy who you remember from um uh, and game new mutants no i remember her from movie. yeah uh, yeah queen's Queen. gambit um, queen's gambit like and of course uh the, you got the shamalan uh, uh, uh cameo like it's not great but you it's like far from the worst superhero movie that I've seen in the last 10 years. And at least it tries to do something a little different and a little interesting. And it like takes itself more seriously. I don't know. I like, I was, I was like honestly surprised by how much fun I had. I will only watch it after Zack Snyder re-edits it. (laughs) Cause that's what superhero movies are now. Well, I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't know if I can get through Split, so I'm been putting glass off well, because I of that. Because I really like. Yeah, I really liked Unbreakable too. Is Split on Netflix? I haven't actually. Uh, I don't think so. It's kind of weird that they would put number three and just skip over number two. Maybe it was that bad. 
Uh, and also, like, I'm, I'm just skimming over it. The the twist here is also Which ridiculous, line? right? Well, the where Sarah Paulson's character is part of an organization that has been suppressing the existence of superhumans for millennia. Ah! Like, I remember that, that line of like that that stuck out to me that they were just sort of like they say like thousands of years or something. I was like, well, what? They're setting <laughs> like, up that there's like a humans versus superheroes undercurrent to civilization, which. Like, for sure, when they play it straight, it comes off a little a little hackneyed. But, like, in the context of a comic book, you would fucking eat that up. It would be, like, totally okay to have, a, like, a secret society among human civilization whose only objective is to keep down the birth of new mutants because they recognize that, they like, humanity can't yeah. compete with mutants. For thousands of years. Like Isaacs. Or no, not Jason Isaacs. Oscar Isaac. In the X Men movie, I, I kind of I've tried to block it out. Apocalypse. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alive for millennia, and I only let the strongest survive. And then I take long naps. <laughs> uh, no, but this is this is this is a human organization that has been. Go ahead, Josh, sorry. I think a good comic book. Movie. Yeah, I think you did first class. First class is go back and watch it. It's pretty bad. It's just better than X Men Three, <laughs> which is a real bar to jump over. So he what did is... the, those three X Men movies. None of them are particularly good. They they range from okay to awful. Uh, he also did Wanted, which was the oh, the most yeah, insulting movie him. I've ever been in. Huh. Yeah, uh, I would hazard that he has not done very many good movies now looking at his what's funny is it's never his fault like he does good performances yeah he did a pretty good dirty cop British movie that I saw with Jason Statham was it called Filthy? maybe maybe he was also in It Chapter 2 which I didn't see despite really enjoying the first one uh, do you want to? Do you want to rank? I didn't see Scott, uh, Split. I kind of. I kind of don't. Maybe I mean, I'll glass. wait until Scott sees it. I really want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hesitant because Chamelon really lets me down. But again, Unbreakable mm-hmm. was really very good. I'd have to. I think I'd have to watch Unbreakable. I believe first in you, Scott. And then do all three. We can wait. This one can take a year. Unbreakable has. Unbreakable <laughs> has good, droning, slow. Just like I, I remember rewatching it recently really and, like. and being like, yep, I love everything about this movie and I'm still 100% on board. Speaking and, of me taking way too long to watch movies, I haven't uh, watched movie 43 yet. I don't hear about movie 43. You're going to fucking hate it. Yeah, so. I, I, admit, <laughs> I just haven't watched it because it looks really bad and I've... Uh, not been staying up super late to have the TV to myself, so I can't inflict this on the of my family. I also watched uh, spe- a movie that I was sh- that I was shocked that Sarah hmm, hadn't that's seen. That's the like conversations in a coffee whatever. shop. Movie? Uh, I watched Two Hundred Cigarettes. Jim Jarmusch, no. Oh, Jim Jarmusch. No, that's coffee and cigarettes. Two hundred cigarettes is uh, a very like a film clearly 
Uh, it's directed by uh, Risa Ramon Garcia, who's not necessarily super notable, but it's like it's this director clearly, clearly channeling uh, Richard Linklater, like where it's just a bunch of twenty somethings on New Year's Eve talking about the meaning of life and looking for love, and it's like inter like intercrossed stories. The cast is like absurd. Right, it's uh, Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Dave Chappelle, Janine Garofalo, Gabby Hoffman, Kate Hudson, Courtney Love, Jay Marr, Martha Plimpton, Christina Ricci, Paul Rudd, and featuring a cameo by Elvis Costello. Like, so like absolutely tries to tap into that uh, dazed and confused vibe, and with like I would say some degree of success. Like I, I it holds a a, a well done but less than in my head and always has. And I, when I was like, Oh yeah, it's like in 200 cigarettes. And Sarah was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I was like, it was weird that it just dropped off. And apparently the, one of the reasons why it's dropped off the face of the planet is it was one of those MTV productions, which means that there's like music you recognize in the background of every single scene. So the whole movie takes place at like new year's Eve, 1981 or whatever the heck it is. And it's all like a kind of like a, everyone sort of wants to have a date uh for new year's eve mm-hmm. as they do and then the soundtrack is f- like complete and total craziness like almost almost up there with uh what do you call it empire records where there's like there's music on constantly because they're always in bars they're always in clubs and whatever just like real real quick rundown of what made the soundtrack is still cruel to be kind in the flesh just what i needed save it for later our lips are sealed i want candy I don't care. Boogie Wonderland, uh, Ladies Night. It's different for girls. Nowhere Girl, more than this. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. So you're like uh, multiple uh, Elvis Costello tracks. You're like Elvis Costello, Blondie, Dire Straits, Roxy Music, Cool in the Gang. Like it's like you're like just running through the list of music. And then because MTV just had like the rights to Everything. music yeah. or whatever the heck it was, and now they're like distribution. They're like, oh no. <laughs> so like apparently like this thing goes for like. If you have the DVD of it, you can sell it for like two or three hundred bucks on eBay because it's like it's that out of print, huh. and not and not because it's like bad, <laughs> right? Like it's just like you're like, oh yeah, they're just never gonna, just like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, right? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, it, it's Dave Chappelle absolutely steals the show in every scene he's in, um, and there's like a bunch of like weird, hilarious one-liners that are like just like home run by the performers, like. Dave Chappelle like hooks up with like a girl or whatever. And like, she's on the phone and then like, he just like sits up, he's playing like it's 1981. Right. So he's like a seventies kind of like a cab driver who's still a little bit stuck in maybe the late seventies. Cause it's close enough. Sure. And just sort of like, so it's like David Chappelle just like sits up and like, it reveals that like, he's like already handcuffed to her and he's like, guess who reloaded baby? <laughs> like, and you're like amazing. You're like, it's, a, and then Ben Affleck plays like completely like, douchey like eager bro ben affleck uh-huh. so like just like, like talking a mile a minute and trying to like he's trying to hook up a threesome basically and says the line like so uh, how do you girls like uh, like your eggs in the morning scrambled or fertilized <laughs> and you're just like oh ben affleck i want to punch you in the mouth <laughs> like, that's great like, mission mission accomplished ben affleck i hate you so much like yeah uh, um Nothing like super noteworthy because like it doesn't ascend to like Linklater levels, mm. but still a super fun movie. Sarah was like, I can't believe I've never seen this. And, and when you like, again, you look at the cast and it's like 
like a who's who of like 90s movies. And it also did make the question, a question I don't have the answer for. What happened to Jay Moore, man? <laughs> Jay Moore? Jay Moore. You know who Jay a, Moore is. He had a whole sitcom in the late 90s. Exactly. He had he was like a pretty big deal in the late 90s. Like you're like he was in Jerry Maguire, he was in Suicide Kings, he was in The 200 Cigarettes, he was in Go. And then it kind of like stumbles and falls apart. And then you're like I'm looking at all the other movies that he's in. Like he kept working but then just like hmm. stopped being in like those are all like were not just like big movies. Was it Adventures like, of Pluto Nash? Was that his drop off? Was, was that? But I mean, I think it happened before that. Like I don't know. I never saw Cherry Falls. Pay it forward. Speaking of sex, and like, and then his TV work. If you look, he was. I guess he kept working on television, but just weird, like single episodes. Maybe he had a bunch know. of bad choices. I mean, Suicide Kings didn't do that well. It was a good movie, but it. No, but like, but you think that he would have? Like, I'm not saying that he was going to become like Hollywood A-lister, but like, you think that like with that like that setup of like Jerry Maguire, like Jerry Maguire, Suicide Kings, like this movie, Go, whatever. Like, you think that you'd be like, oh yeah, he's that guy who was like in funny indie movies, and you think that he would like parlay into that? I guess he took money. Are we there yet? <laughs> and yeah, just sort of like. He was on Saturday Night Live, I want to say. He did a couple seasons yeah. of... Yeah, he did two seasons of Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. He's also, like, a, a pretty well-respected, like, stand-up. And, like, a lot of stuff when I hear... When I hear him occasionally pop up on other podcasts, he seems well-liked by other comedians, uh-huh. too. So, like, it doesn't seem like you're like, oh, yeah, screw that guy. Like, it's just very weird that this guy had a a career that existed, not solely, like, if you look at his filmography or TV work, like, he's been working ever since, but, like, he had like a, a heyday in the nineties that he just did not like capitalize on. Sure. Very weird. Sure. Very weird. Anyway, so what else is up, everybody? I uh, took Archer to the skate park in Some. He has a little little grip stick. Or whatever. Yep. So this is the um the big, beautiful, brand new skate park that's in Park Arthur Terrier by the Verdun Auditorium. Mm-hmm. Did, the, did the bulls hit the lips right, or was it made by a bunch of teenagers who didn't know what they were doing, like in Action Point? <laughs> no, no, this is... This is <laughs> the one just that, eats dirt every time. <laughs> this is the one that Sterling Downey had his hands all over. And, uh, Sterling Downey, owner of Downey of Cotton? The deputy mayor of Montreal. Okay. You, you know him. You've seen him around at stuff. He's, he's always doing... Uh, populist, cool Montreal politics stuffs. Okay, um, and he was like, "For he was needs a skater kid. skate park." He, Montreal needs a skate park, and there's this huge plot of land in uh, the big park by the waterfront, by the auditorium, and it's cool. It's a cool skate park. If I because there was already there was already one that was there that was pretty neat, and this uh, is the super big one, right? Yeah, yeah, like because all of every skate park in Montreal is teeny. Like, I'm thinking the biggest one that I know of is the one under the bridge, and that's also pretty small. Like, near Saint Laurent, like, uh, up on Saint Laurent that goes under the train tracks. And that's also still by, like, when you see skate parks in the States, that one is still small. Yeah. (laughs) No, this one's one's big. It's, it's like, maybe three basketball courts in size. Like, it's a big... That's a big skate park. Yeah. There's, There's a bunch of ramps and a bunch of places to, like, grind, and it's got, like, a fake street down the middle of it mm-hmm. so there's like weird sidewalks and speed bumps and stuff mm-hmm. 
and uh, he had a really good time. And because there were so many other cool kids there doing stuff, he was more adventurous than he is usually wont to be. He was like, yeah, I'm cool. All these other kids are going down that ramp. I can do it. Yeah, I, I saw like a moment moment of trepidation on one of the Instagram things, and then he just like cruised down the ramp, and it was okay. But like it, there was a like a uh, uh. Well, there was there was like a twenty something guy who kick slipped up in front of him, and he was just like, "I don't want to run into you. You you are much bigger than me." <laughs> but yeah, uh, but, I mean, but I, I I'll I mean like again, having been been a kid at skate parks, like he's what eight? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't take a big ramp to get real scary when you're eight. <laughs> well, he went down you a know, pretty big uh, slope, like a, a six-foot-high, 45-degree angle slope, and ate it. His his scooter came out in front, and his feet went up in the air, and he landed right on his ass. And I was like, I would oh. not. I, I probably would have done the same. Those little weird scooter things terrify me. Yeah, I mean, they don't <laughs> terrify me. But he, And he's he's used to scooting around on that thing. But he stood up and he looked around and he realized that he didn't want to be that kid that like ran to <laughs> the his one parents. kid stands there in the middle of the skate park crying. Yeah, yeah. that is, dude. Good for very, him. Very, that's that's a a good growing up moment right there. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, also, like very relatable. He dusted being, himself being... off and like kept rolling. Yeah. And when we talked to him later, we're like, "Oh yeah, you did a really good time. You didn't fall really much." He was like, "I fell once and it was really bad." <laughs> like. <laughs> Okay, that's what you're saying now. But at the time, you wanted to keep looking cool. Yeah, I, I, I was like, again, being being having spent some time in skate parks and also being like one of the younger kids, like of my friend, like people who I did skate with, and also being just a really really small kid. Absolutely, you don't want to be the kid crying. Like you fall down and like you've like scraped a layer of skin off, and you're just like. <sighs> Duh, high school kids looking at me. <laughs> you're just like, be cool. You're just like, I, I, not to I had my eyes on the whole incident and I was like, don't run over there until he asks for it. Don't, <laughs> you're don't like, whoa, dad, dad, dad jeans. Yeah. Like just... <laughs> like, go, don't, don't do then it. You're, then you're the kid whose dad ran in who like exactly. helped you after you nailed it. <laughs> and no, uh, he was good. He was tough about it. So. Uh, I think that's going to be a regular feature in our summer because he really likes it. Right on. Yeah. So as he, I don't, I mean, I know at the like high levels or whatever, that there's like tricks and stuff where you can like kick the little scooter. Is he like, there are people there who are doing that with their scooters. And he was just like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to scooter anymore. I felt that way. Like most of my life is skateboarding. Like, I, I could ollie and I like if I was very on I could kickflip. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I was like like even kickflips, I'm like, I don't really understand enough about it, but like I practiced it enough and people showed me what to do that I'm like, you start at the back and then you kick and then you move your leg, like your foot up into an angle and then the board flips around. And I'm like, and that's it. Otherwise I'm like you watch like people on like sitting there watching them and I'm like, I've been doing this for ten years and they're a wizard. Like, I don't understand how to make the thing on my feet do what's happening over there. And I can imagine that, like, that little scooter stuff. I've watched the videos of them. and Yeah, like, there was, like, 12-year-old kids doing full, like, grinding, and, like, like um, yeah. McTwists on their scooters. I was like, huh, wow, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Was Archer like, I'm going to do that? No, he was like, I'm not going to fall, and I'm going to go very fast. And that, those are the things I want to do. It's a start. <laughs> it's very much a start, because that was his first time ever hitting ramps. A plus. Yeah, no, he had a good time. Just, just, we were there for like two hours, and it was not warm on Saturday. We're like, okay, it's time to go. He was like, mm, no, I want to stay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're going to go back there a bunch. It's just down Dillaglee's from us, so it's not far. Yeah, and you were, But you were never like a skater guy, though, were you? Did you, did you spend any high school time at skate parks? No, not that, at skate like, parks. That you was were a not, basketball hoopster yeah, boy. I was a basketball kid. I had a skateboard so is... when I was a little kid, but not, not, not as a teenager. No, I was more, more, more shooting threes, shooting hoops outside yeah. of the school. A couple guys. Up to well, there was here. there was a a hoop outside when I lived on Trenum. I used to go play basketball hmm. there all the time. Hmm. I think I went once, John. one time maybe. John is a sporto. <laughs> as I was say, any 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 skateboard ramp. Or even like child skateboards? Did you ever like a? Did you ever get like the Ninja Turtle deck or anything, John? Nope, definitely not. No? I got a I got a um, a skateboard that somebody had slapped a little lawnmower engine on for a little while, and I would put put around on that thing. That was pretty Neat. awesome. Yeah, I think Jacques actually had it. If you remember him, I the do. Truck driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now full circle. I own an electric skateboard. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fun. Uh, yeah, I was going to reminisce about skate park hangs, but apparently neither one of you really did it. So. Nope. <laughs> uh, I think this has more or less been the 90s. Is there anything, anything out there? Did you guys watch Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun? Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Is this garbage time talk? Uh, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in to garbage time <laughs> to hear Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways, and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you can get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. 905.cc. <laughs> Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.